Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia. Now the show has two very distinct types of episodes. The first are our deep dive interviews with leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. And the other type of show I produce is the Iconic Albums series. And for that I am joined by my friends Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica, two professional musicians that are just a great hang and we talk about some of the most influential guitar records in our collection. Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, the ex-head of guitar at the world-famous Guitar Institute of Technology in LA and the McNally Smith College of Music. Not only is Joe a world-class educator, he's a fantastic guitar player. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, welcome to Iconic Albums number 16. I'm joined by my friends Rob Rhodes. Hello. And Gabor Jessica. Hello. <laughs> Was that Mike Bleed there or what? <laughs> well, this is great. Well, I'll explain the play date in a moment. But yes. this is the show where Rob and Gabor and I, we talk about some of the most influential guitar records in our collection. It's a roundtable conversation. And for the people at home, um, Rob and Gabor are having an Iconic Albums play date. Yes. Um, Rob has found himself stuck over the Queensland border, which is where Gabor lives, yeah. and uh, they are recording in the same room in Gabor's studio, which is super cool. I know. I know. Yeah, it's so a very it's different. Three-dimensional version of Rob. <laughs> it's crazy. Somehow, I love it. Somehow still only two-dimensional. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say anything. But. <laughs> I wish I was there. I guess for our overseas listeners, um, we are in, the three of us are in two different states. And with the current COVID restrictions, there's a little bit of trickery involved in the borders of the states. Hey, tonight's album is a ripper. Uh, Rob, you chose this one. How about you kick us off? Yeah, I thought um, it is the one year anniversary of the passing of King Edward, Edward Van Halen, of course. Um, so I really wanted to pay tribute to that anniversary and, uh, hopefully do it justice to all the Van Halen fans out there. And I, it was a struggle because I, in, there's so many albums, of course, there's people that could argue we should pick the first album, but from a guitar point of view and a fan favorite, I went with Fair Warning, which is their fourth album. Released on April 29, 1981. Ooh, I was just turned five around that time. Wow. wow. Um, it has sold more than two million copies, uh, but was still the band's slowest selling album of the David Lee Roth era. Um, despite the album's like commercial disappointment, um, early on anyway, Fair Warning uh, met with mostly positive reviews. The album is listed by Esquire as one of the 75 albums every man should own, but I want to add that every woman should own it too. 
Yeah. Right. Women and children first, <laughs> yeah. I would say. All the rockers. Um, it was recorded at LA's iconic Sunset Sound, where Van Halen albums were all recorded up until 1984. And it was recorded between... They, there's conflicting things. It says uh, between early March and early April, but I have also read that it was done in 11 days. Okay. Oh, wow. So um, produced once again by Ted Templeman and engineered by Don Landy, uh, released on Warner Brothers. So, yeah, this is my favourite Van Halen record because essentially this is where Eddie got to flex his creative muscle where he started to take control of the sound of the band, the direction of the band, um, and this was the result. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a much darker record, less of a party album than the earlier Van Halen records um, and because... He was sort of in a strange place, Eddie. He was very angry. Um, he was going. He was, you know, going to get married to Valerie at the time, and he'd overheard uh, David Lee Roth speaking kind of derogatory about the whole situation, saying, you know, first everyone wants. He's the guy everyone wants to talk to. He's the guitar hero, and he now he's the first to marry a Hollywood actress. Right. You know, and so. Roth was a very interesting sort of individual, but also Eddie had felt like his creativity was being suppressed by Templeman and Roth at this time. So he, there was a lot of tension and that came out in the music. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like a quick wrap-up of the album. And what did, what did you think, Matt, on Listen? So for me, Van Halen, um, when this album came out, I think I, was, I must have been nine so well before guitar, well before really getting into music, I think. But I think I started hearing Van Halen uh, probably when um, Fifty One Fifty came out. So that was obviously a Sammy Sammy's first yeah. record. So that's when I first really noticed Van Halen. I mean, I'd obviously heard Jump on the radio in uh, the previous couple of years. Um, I didn't hear Eruption until probably nineteen eighty six. When some musician friends of mine showed me, and I remember thinking, "Is that a guitar?" You know, like a lot of people thought when they heard the tapping for the first time. So yeah, all those kind of ground groundbreaking, brain exploding moments that I think most guitar players had. I had them as well. Um, but then I ended up working backwards. I guess like you know a lot of people do when you hear a new artist or someone that's new to you. So I didn't hear this album till till much later. So after after the Sammy stuff, I went back you know, through Van Halen 1 and worked my way through. But, yeah, Fair Warning's a great, a great, great record. Um, I think you described it well, saying it's, it was a dark record that left some of the party band stuff behind. Uh, lots of my guests on the podcast, too, will say Fair Warning is their favourite. Yeah, it seems to be a guitar, like, guitar player favourite, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the production's awesome and... It's a really interesting time, 81, because Van Halen, they're not brand new. Like you said, it's their fourth record. Um, but there's still a lot of fire going on. And as you said, Eddie was really grabbing a hold of the reins. Yeah, and he kind of paid for it with the next record because he had to give up all control of Diver Down <laughs> and it had half covers, like, you know, Pretty Woman and Dancing in the Street and all of yeah. that. So he kind of knew he had to give a bit after this one and... 
yeah, the result was diver down. But I was the same as you. I I think I got 51.50 first because a friend uh-huh. just gave it to me because they all of a sudden overnight weren't into guitar anymore and wanted was listening to NWA and Public huh. Enemy okay. and all this stuff. <laughs> and so he went, I don't like this anymore. Do you want it? And, yeah, 51.50 was the first album that was handed to me. And then... Um, my best mate's brother a couple of years later with for unlawful carnal knowledge and then I worked backwards from there. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How about you, Gabor? What was your thoughts well, on this uh, record? 81, 81, in April 81, I was still two. So <laughs> massive Van Halen fan at the time. <laughs> Did you like the record? <laughs> Did you like it more than the third one? <clears throat> no, so uh, yeah, I was still two. Uh, I turned three later in the year. Um, okay, so remember how a few weeks ago uh, I was being almost kicked out of Australia for the whole chisel thing. <laughs> I think I'm now going to get kicked out of the guitar playing community. Uh, so this is first time ever I listened to an entire Van Halen album for start to finish. Wow. First time ever. You're welcome. <laughs> well, well, we haven't. Hold it, hold it. Hold, 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 that the problem is with. Rob being here now. <laughs> Rob is about to kick me out of your studio. This is going to be weird. I know. That's going to be rather bizarre. Um, so I'm going to get beaten up. So if, if I disappear mysteriously, people, help me. Uh, but <laughs> no. Um, Gabor's so, bigger than me, by the way. Yeah. Just, well, okay. that. just taller. That's high center of, of gravity. I go down really easily. But anyway. Um, so my first ever time that I've listened to an entire Van Halen album, I don't know. I never. And I mean that, don't mean that in a bad way at all, but I never quite got the whole Van Halen thing personally. Um, uh, and I have to say, listening to the album, I still don't necessarily get it, get it, but that's just me. I totally get his impact and I totally get why, you know, he is this legendary figure and I, I totally get that. I don't mean it in that way. But I mean, for me personally, it's just not my thing. But at the same time, uh, the things I wrote down, right, so for this album, uh, great guitar tone. I give totally given that. And I think for the time, for 81, uh, I think there weren't many other guitar players that had quite that sort of saturated and thick, full guitar sound that wasn't really around then. So totally, totally see that. Um, but, yeah, I... I, I I don't know. Uh, just, just, yeah. Sorry, guitar playing world. <laughs> Please send your hate mail to PO Box uh, one seven five. <laughs> um, no, I mean there were moments on there that I liked, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back to Rob. <laughs> we're all. Hey, that's why we're here. We don't want everyone to have the same opinion, so it's good. Yeah, I, I like it, Gabor. Like that. Yeah, you've got these left field. I'm the oddball. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah, am the it's oddball. good. Wait yeah. till I bring an oddball record, then you're all going to be... <laughs> anyway. Um, so from this record, there there apparently was a music video made, but it never saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there were live videos released from the classic Oakland uh, Coliseum show, which was a three-night stint uh, between... Oh, now this is going to be the other way around, isn't it? The 11th of June, 81... And the 13th of June, 81. And so there's live videos out there of Unchained. So this is love and hear about it later. Uh, they're uh-huh. so good. Um, and those videos debuted um, on an episode of Don Kirshner's Rock Concert Series, mm. which was a television program. Um, 
Fans have always wondered if the whole concert exists, but apparently uh, it doesn't. They only recorded the first four or five okay. songs from that show. I think I watched some of. I think I watched those, the ones you were just talking about when I on YouTube when I went through the album. I think I saw them because there was some really old footage. Yeah. Um, and I think it was that. Yeah. Yeah, it's killer. Like um, some of the, just what he could do live is just crazy good. Um, the kicks. Yeah, the high kicks. <laughs> yeah. Love the high kicks. Um, so this was the first Van Halen record that was really heavy on overdubs. All the other records only had one or two overdubs per record. Oh, okay. It was basically recorded yeah, yeah. live, and that was where a lot of the tension came from because Templeman and Roth wanted to keep that live okay. band vibe that they had on the last three records. But Eddie would just fought tooth and nail to the point where he would hate everything they recorded during the day and he would call Don Landy and say, meet me back at the studio at 4am and oh. go in and re-record everything. So he'd just wow. delete everything and re-record exactly the way that he wanted. Oh. There, there was one instance where he was recording a guitar solo and Ted went, no, nah, do it again. And he did it like 20 times. And Ted's like, well, tell me what you want. Like, you keep saying it's not right. Give me an idea of what you think it needs. And Ted's like, oh, don't worry, let's move on. And then Eddie came back at 4 o'clock in the morning that night and recorded the exact same solo he did 20 times okay. before. And the next day when Ted came in, he went, wow, that's perfect, mate. Like, absolutely oh, okay. perfect. So <clears throat> it was just, I think there was a real power struggle going on. Uh, and you can see that this was the birth of Eddie I think the inkling that he had to build 5150, which was his home studio, his home studio yeah. that he yeah. built, yeah. and I think that cemented in his mind after Diver Down because uh, yeah. yeah. a lot of his great ideas, especially his little synth hook ideas, were stolen and used for songs like Dancing in the Street and yeah. Yeah. originals were given way to recording covers of things like Oh Pretty Woman and yeah. you yeah. know Where Have All the Good Times Gone. You know, that's a great song. But... Um, so Sinner's Swing is the only live solo on the whole record. Oh, wow. Uh, every other okay. one is overdubbed. That's uh, a killer solo, far out. Yeah. So Actually, funny, the first thing I wrote down reminds me of Satch Boogie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean. Because they're all sort <laughs> of influenced, first. that ZZ Top influence, you yeah, know, it's yeah. that, that yeah. high-energy boogie thing going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, There's a few of them on this record. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, oh, anyway, there's um, so much going on with that record. Um, favorite songs, Matt? There's a few. I, yeah, I really, I really like this record. Unchained is awesome. Yeah, the drop D thing. Yeah, it's cool. And like, it wasn't the first time it had ever been done, but I know, like, for 81, drop D was something very unusual. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, yeah, it would have been. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is a great tune. Main Street's awesome. The opening, that that tapping, slapping stuff, that's a cool way to open oh, the record. That's amazing. I, I, I wrote down, it reminded my okay, my dad back in the days used to have an old Telex machine. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Does it, yeah, you know, yeah. There's probably some kids out there that don't, but this is back in the days before like computers and then there were fax machines, but before that there was a Telex machine. Yes. And it yeah. had these long strips. And it, Anyway. <laughs> It, when it first started, it for some reason sparked this little memory of the sound my dad's old telex machine made. Right, yeah, right at the start, the first few 
really yeah. metallic-y sort of sounding sounds. Sorry, that just, yeah, I wow. just, that's a, it, it was funny. It just really sparked, uh, you know how sometimes you hear something and it puts you in a place? Yeah, That yeah, really yeah. did. It just kind of went, oh, wow. this is like in my, my dad's old office. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, anyway, sorry, keep going. <laughs> I mean, any kids hearing or seeing that today, they think, you know, hang on, don't acoustic guitar players do that stuff? All that mm. percussive stuff. But he's doing it with that really high gain tone and yeah. it's amazing. It's, it's really cool. And the, the song itself is really cool. That's a, that's a cool moment. Man, there's so much pedal point on this album. Um, I know it's a bit of a Van Halen thing, but Michael Anthony, the amount of times he's just playing one note. Dum, 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 dum. And Eddie's just, you know, riffing out over the top of it. It sounds cool. I think that brings some of the darkness. It's also questionable well. how much bass Mike actually played on the album. Like it's come out in recent times that, you know, okay. Eddie was there at 4 a.m., so you're oh, doing yeah. overdubs. That it's quite possible that when a when he changed a part, that he just laid the bass down himself. So, yeah, I was I was sort of wondering because I had read that yeah Eddie played some bass on some stuff, and there's one tune in particular that doesn't strike me as particularly uh, Michael Anthony, and that's um, "Push Comes to Shove." The bass intro. I wrote that down actually as 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 one thing. I like it, and it sounds very different to everything else. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That sound, it sounds reminded me of Miss You by the Stones, that kind of well, yeah, almost there's, soulful. There's a quote on that song where pocket. Eddie said Dave wanted to get this kind of reggae rock scar thing going on, which okay. was, um, and that's what Eddie came up with for to follow that directive mm. and uh, mm. kind of like a prelude to the things that happened later on towards the late 80s. Yeah, right. Wow, cool man! Oh yeah, that had some really cool clean sounds as well. Some really hi-fi, almost clean guitars, which mm. which is not usually Van Halen. Nah. Eddie's like the master of rolling back the volume and just cleaning up that way, which which I really dig. So yeah, they they were some of my favorite tracks. Dirty movies. Eddie's playing slide on that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's I wrote. Is that slide guitar? Because he's not known to play slide, or I don't. No, the the odd song um, over the years he's done some slide parts, but yeah, it's not it's not a huge part no. of his playing. Uh, sure. And I got a little story about that as when we get into the gear part. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, there's a lot of flanger and phaser, so I guess we'll talk about that too. Yeah. Um, but there's some really cool. I mean, the unchained flange is kind of an iconic moment in rock and roll flange history. For sure. So that's kind of fun. But yeah, they, they were probably my, my standouts. Um yeah, the whole the whole band sounds great. It's a it's a it's an interesting period in the band's history. Like like you said, and I think it's reflected mm. in the music. All right, so this should be pretty quick then. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so uh actually one of the things because you guys were talking about bass, one of the things I wrote down is uh, I never realized how kind of dominant the bass is in Van Halen. It seemed in a lot of songs quite dominant. I think on this record it is, whereas on previous records it wasn't. It was kind of buried. Oh, okay. okay. It kind of has that thing where Eddie was in the left speaker and the um Echoplex was in the right. And the bass, yep. like it's all about Somewhere drums and guitar, and the bass is just sort of in the background. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah I, I never quite realised, but there, yeah, there was quite a few songs where, like Matt was saying, sort of that eighth note, like bass sits on one chord or one note, 
with all the other stuff going on over it. But yeah, there's, I never quite realized how, how dominant it was. Mm. So for me, I, 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 again, I didn't dislike the album. It just, you know, anyway, let's just, so Mean Street uh, is one that I wrote down. Like I said, reminded me of the old Telex machine, the metallic sound, great guitar sound, dirty yeah. mo- movies, slide guitar. Um, uh, hear about it later. Um, the intro, it's a really nice chord progression. Yeah. And then I really like, there's a change a little bit before the solo, it's like a real change in a song, and it's just that I really like that change. And then after the solo, it kind of goes back to the song again, mm-hmm. but it takes like it's almost like a whole shift in the song, which I really liked. Unchained, the flanger thing, uh, push comes to shove, uh, great bass intro, and I kind of liked. And again, this is not Van Halen, but I liked how it was a bit more melodic and less shreddy. Yeah, that's just me. Um, Sunday afternoon in a park. I quite like the synth sound and the sound of the drums, just the tone of it. And I think there's no guitar in this one <laughs> at all. So. No, there isn't. And but uh, that's okay. But that's I mean, good. I quite like just the sound of it, just the yeah. sound of the synth and the drums, because the drums sounded a bit distorted as well, and so it sounded a bit cool sound. And then one foot out the door. Uh, is that synth or bass? The riff. No, it's it's the synth. Is as it well. the synth? Yeah, because it's kind of like a. Two songs that kind of lead kind of into, into yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and I just I like that, um, I like that sound of it. But yeah, I, I mean, there, that was my, uh, like I said, I didn't dislike it. Mm. Um, it wasn't like you know, it's I'm not allergic to Eddie like I am to Barnsley, but <laughs> <laughs> dig up, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Simpsons reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's <clears throat> that was my favourite tracks. Cool. Well, for me, um, I'm going to agree with uh, Gabor here because Push Comes to Shove is my number one, like, oh, yeah. favourite Eddie Van Halen solo. Okay. And yeah, it's yeah. so nice and melodic. It's and really it's, nice. Yeah, and it's almost close to my number one song of theirs too like my most favorite song if you know i pick a van halen song to listen to i almost almost go to that song every time okay wow, um cool. and then so this is love is probably my number two favorite solo and it's my favorite van halen song like when it when i go it depends on my mood most of the time it's so this is love and then when yeah. it's not that it's push comes to shove so uh, mean street is just a quintessential, you know, gnarly pocket riff mm. of all yeah. the Eddie goodness. Mm. And the intro we talked about, just jump on um, people listening. If you haven't seen how he does it, if you're listening to it um, as an accompaniment to this podcast, go and watch him do it live because yeah. it's the only way it makes sense. You know, he's tapping the low E on the 12th fret with his thumb and he's tapping the high E and B with his first finger on the 12th fret as well. And he's just creating that palm mute thing with his left hand. Like, yeah, it just becomes this, yeah, it's great. Okay. So it's not as these days, yeah, as you said, Matt, you see a lot of acoustic players um, doing it now, um, hitting those harmonics and stuff around the neck and yeah. bec- making it a rhythmic thing. But, uh, yeah. Um, hear about it later is just so lush, you know, from the intro riff to the, to the descending, you know, pattern in the verses and, and it just, it's just beautiful, you know, and unchained is just beastly in the best way. Yeah. It's just, 
You just want to play that riff all day. But um, one thing I thought about was if I was putting a Van Halen mixtape together for someone like Gabor, <laughs> tracks one to seven would be on it. So, um, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm totally in the, in the Van Halen camp on this one and this record. Uh, and I do like, I like the other two as well. I like Sunday afternoon in the park and one foot out the door. I think it's, when you're a Van Halen fan, you get you get why Eddie was doing that. The keyboards yeah, are in yeah. um, on Women and Children First. Uh, the intro to, well, the main riff of And the Cradle Will Rock is not a guitar. It's actually, a, you know, a Wurlitzer or something from from memory, I think, into his Marshall stacks. Marshalls, stack. hey. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. So, so cool. The keyboards have been around a long time and uh, I do like, it is aggressive and I like listening to Alex play and he gets his place there. So it works really well. Um, so, yeah, I think pretty much the whole album is my favourite song. <laughs> <laughs> um, we might take a break and then we'll come back and talk gear and uh, a few fun facts. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cobb. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. All right, welcome back to Iconic Albums number 16. We're talking about Fair Warning, Van Halen's fourth album, and Rob has brought this record along for us tonight. Yeah, so I thought we might get into the gear. It's really easy with Eddie. He, You do have to traverse a lot of his lies because from one, in, one interview to the next, he'll just totally throw something else completely the opposite of what he said in the last thing because okay. okay. he's very secretive <laughs> even from the early days where I think David Lee Roth actually told him to face his back to the audience until they were signed because he didn't want the LA scene and all those cats coming oh, to in know what he was doing. to see what he was doing. Uh. So he spent that early years at the Whiskey and Gazaris and all of those places facing his amp and he's back to the audience when he played. So, um, yeah, he was very protective, even as recently as when he did the Smithsonian uh, interview, uh, which you can find on YouTube. Oh, it's yeah. great. He That's actually really cool, fessed yeah. up about how he used the Variac. Um, he used to tell everyone he turned it up, um, but he yeah. never really, he never turned it up. He turned it down. And right. a lot of the times he was just using it because the club's, had fluctuating power and he knew what the marshal wanted. So he just would feed the marshal the exact amount of what is that it needed. So sometimes he did crank it up a little bit. Other times he turned it down. Um, But he especially turned it down because he couldn't play a hundred watt marshal for five hours in these clubs. So he used it as an attenuator basically. Mm. Um, But in saying all that, the majority of the album is on his original Franken Strat that he built, but at that time he had repainted it the the you know that red and white and black the iconic Frankenstein oh, yeah. guitar okay. that uh, has recently been reissued with the reflectors on the back. 
With the reflectors on the back. See, yeah. I know something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Rob, is that is that the same guitar that's on the cover of Van Halen One, the yellow and black one? Yeah. So okay. that's the one that was. Well, no, the yellow and black one's on Van Halen Two. It's the white and black one on oh, Van okay, Halen sorry, One. Yes. So yeah, yep, it's yep, the yep. white and black one, the boogie body, um, with the neck and the Gibson Path in the bridge. Okay. Um, and. It's, there was two tracks he used a strat on, and it was a mahogany-bodied strat. Wow! Um, so that's hear about it later and push comes to shove. So where okay. you hear the clean bits, that sounds the, very fat, like stratty. I was yeah. going to say it does sound like the in-between position. Now he does use the slide as we spoke about on Dirty Movies. Again, a rarity in his career. Um, Women and Children First. He on uh, could this be magic? He does the slide on the acoustic guitar on that track. Okay, so I yep. think that's the, I could be wrong, but just from memory, that's the first sort of slide showing up for Eddie. And then later, the A, Apolitical Blues on OU812, and there's little bits of slide all over the place. And Van Halen 3, there's some on there as well. Oh, no, okay. I mentioned Van Halen 3. Oh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, that's next week's iconic album, folks. Uh, <laughs> but for the slide guitar and dirty movies, all those high parts, Eddie really struggled to reach them. You know, he couldn't get the high fret access, which is weird because as an SG, you would think that's the easiest kind of one to get yeah. the high. But anyway, he struggled with it. So he actually took to it with a saw <laughs> and hacked a big gash into the S. Oh, so Jesus. it was an LP, as an SG, SG shaped LP Junior. Okay. Okay. Right. So, um, so yeah, that's what he did. He just hacked into the bottom bout so he could quite easily just reach <laughs> oh, so that Jesus. guitar gone. And again, he has the history of that. He took the destroyer Put and took a chainsaw yeah. to the back of it yeah. and yeah. Uh, uh, self he destroyed. The, he yeah. did destroy the destroyer. <laughs> he destroyed the destroyer. And, <laughs> and he said he did. He said as soon as I did that, all the tone went, went yeah. like because yeah, yeah. that tone base is right behind the bridge, yeah. and he hacked right into that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, um, Sunday Afternoon in the Park, as we mentioned, is all synthesizer, and that was played on an EHX micro synth. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so he got all that sort of stuff out on that, and you can see some live. The footage is horrible, but it was in the live show. So okay. he would go, him and Alex would do that as a solo section, and yep. Eddie had the micro synth up there, and then they'd go into Romeo's Delight out of that song okay. in that 81 set list. Uh, all of the whammy is basically done. He put the original Fender tremolo back on um, with a brass nut that he used to oil. So he said in the studio he didn't use the Floyd Roses at that point because it was hard for him to tune them. It was just so much okay. easier with a Fender how he had them set up. Right. Um, so in a lot of interviews he talks about how he set how he set up those Fender tremolos to keep them in tune for long periods of time when he was dive bombing. So he would wind the string up the tuning peg. Oh, I think I've seen that somewhere. Yeah. 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 So, okay. so the string pull was a lot straighter because he didn't want it breaking uh, okay. over the, the neck. Break angle. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Over the nut. So he would wind it up. But he said a lot of the times you had to adjust how you would play because the strings would just come out of the nut slots. Yeah. Uh, okay. So he wow. did that. But this is how fastidious and insane he was about keeping mm. it in tune. He worked out that when you turn the tuning peg that the string would coil up. So when it locks in, as it's turning, it's spinning on its axis, right? But 
it would stay and just coil like a hose, basically. So he would sit at the other end and every couple of winds, he would grab the ball end of the string and turn it the opposite way. So the string would stay, it wouldn't twist as you were turning it around the tuning peg. So all these little things that he used to do, so good, you know. I never, ever even thought about that. Yeah. spins. Yeah, I guess it makes sense, yeah. And that's why he's been such a um, pioneer when it's come to guitar um, design. Like the original Floyd Rose didn't have the microtuners and he gave Floyd the idea of the microtuner. Wow. And Floyd said, oh, yeah, no worries. I'll put you on the, you know, I'll put you on the patent. And he would send him, oh, does this work? Does this work? And he was going through all the prototypes. And in the end, like Floyd Rose screwed him on it and he got no money out of it, no. um, wow. which is why he became so protective with all, his, with all these little yeah. gadgets and his yeah, names and patents okay. and stuff okay. down the track. Um, so most of the album... Is a sixty-seven, sixty-eight uh, Marshall Super Lead, which is his Holy Grail amp. That's the one, you know, that he used on everything. And there was talk. I went, I went through a whole lot of interviews, but I could never find out what it was. But there was some things that came out. I think maybe Don Landy spoke about there was some smaller little combo amps used, um, okay. and that's why the sound is a little bit different than on some of those other records. Okay. Um, so he's pushing them to their limit. And then there's the usual uh, MXR pedals, the Phase 90, the Flanger, and the MXR Chorus. Yep. And his famed Echo Plex, which he used as a preamp yeah. as well as, <clears throat> you know, his effects. Um, did you guys come across anything or wanted to add or had maybe had some questions that maybe I can answer off the top of my head. <laughs> um, yeah, nope. kind of. I think similar to a couple of weeks ago, I was sort of aware of the guitars from this era, but always interested because this is pre Kramer and obviously pre PV and then the EVH stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess all those those hacked up strats that they they are just so so cool. I had. Um, there was a mate I used to sit next to in high school in year 11 and 12, and he had a picture of Eddie. I think it was a Kramer ad. Yeah. But it had his original, or one of the originals, but it had the Kramer neck on it because he, he went through a few necks. And um, it was just the coolest guitar ever. It had the, the red single coil in the neck that wasn't connected. Um, I think it had a five-way switch in the middle. Just sitting in the cavity. Yeah, just sitting yeah. there just to look cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man. There's a there's a video I remember watching it oh, last year sometime and it's it's Eddie Van Halen going through his studio and there's all these guitar bodies sitting around and mm. he goes yeah I just took some tests on this and some tests on that and all these bits and pieces floating around and different necks from different guitars it was really cool actually to see that I mean like I said I, I totally get you know what he's done and, you know, the whole history of and what he did. And, I mean, amazing innovator, you know, because, I mean, he, he was the first guy to wax pickups too, wasn't he, to make him? Uh, I think they were wax potted, bef- like you could get wax potted pickups, but he was wax potting and destroying okay. like original Gibson Paps. He said he melted so many of them that collectors <laughs> would be crying today because he could, took him, he was just experimenting. He just went seeing what worked, yeah. trying to get the temperature of the wax right, and he said he'd drop a pickup in and just the plastic would melt, melt and be ruined, <laughs> you know. And, and he bought, he just bought 
Gibsons that weren't all that expensive back then and just ripped the pickup out and left the guitar. Oh, yeah. There was some talk that the, the, there was a Les Paul at that time that Eddie is photographed with playing live. Yeah. Um, it might have been on the Women and Children First Tour that that okay. appears on this album too, but it was right. just kind of like hearsay and mm. there was a couple of photos from 81 with him in the studio and there's a Gibson double neck here and okay. a couple of weird and wacky... Um, maybe even a, one of those aluminium necked Kramers was in the photo too, right. but no one can really confirm. Only really Don Landy was in a lot of those sessions and and the man himself, what he has said. But uh, I'm sure there's it's the odd thing that, that turned up on a part where he wanted a thicker sound and that's where he just pulled out the, the Les Paul and used it on that. I remember. Yeah. I remember watching uh, the the Sunset Sound Studio has its own YouTube channel, yeah. and they did a lot of stuff about Prince, and but they also did a lot of stuff about Van Halen, and it was one of those roundtables with Dweezil Zappa, yeah, and I think Don Landy. Was it Don? Was Don Landy? Or someone? Or maybe someone else? No, I think it was Greg Renoff, the guy else. that wrote the um, the latest Van Halen book. Uh, out, but yeah. I remember Dweezil was doing exactly. He was saying, "Oh, so what guitar? What and what was this?" Because Dweezil, I think, is a massive, yeah. massive and, and friends. Because yeah. Van Halen uh, yeah, actually came, produced Dweezil's first solo record, and he came <laughs> over. I, I remember watching. There's a story. Um, I think it's on the Gibson uh, when, when a Gibson uh, YouTube channel when Dweezil goes through his guitar collection, yeah, which is insane. But I think he was yeah. saying he. Played with his band, he played a Van Halen song at his like school comp- like band competition or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And his dad Frank got um, Eddie to come along or something like that. Okay, I don't maybe know. and or, there was something like that. And then the next yeah, day yeah. he showed up at his house and he gave Dweezil a guitar or something. Yeah, like the that. Ra- the Rasta Strat. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And it was just just a student <laughs> him going. You know, this is like the gr- the biggest rock star <laughs> in the world. And he yeah. comes to my school and it's like all the other kids were like, wow, you're yeah. so cool. And it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you are Frank Zappa's son on top of that. But anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just the craziness, you know, like you, you look at the inventors over the years and you know, you've had Leo Fender who wasn't a guitar player and all the things that he yeah. pioneered and then Les Paul pioneering all the things he did, like multi-tracks and he was – you could argue he was the first looping guitar player. Yeah, yeah. you know, because yeah. he was just looping things on tape and playing and massive like cupboard-sized looping yeah. machines. Yeah, <laughs> I was, there's some players out there with some pretty big looping true, setups. True, true, true. <laughs> um, but yeah, like right through all those things to building his own, you know, and now the EVH brand. Because as I mentioned, not only did he not get ripped off by Floyd Rose, but he got ripped off by Damasio as well who um, designed the pickups for Music Man um, yeah, with Ed yeah. and they promised him, you know, that they would he would have ownership of those and they screwed him in the front print on those too. Uh, and oh, so he man. ended up not owning anything on the Music Man either. Uh, and then that's when he went, well, PV have been good to me with the 5150 line, so I'm going over there and I'm going to make the Wolfgang and he owned... His name was on all the patents of everything that went yeah, through. Okay, you know, it's just the amount of times that that's happened to him, he just you could see why he was just done and yeah. wanted to yeah, protect sure. his name. Yeah. All right, yeah. so I think we can do some fun facts. Yeah, man. Fun facts with Rob. <laughs> that's me. Uh, so un- Unchained and Hear About It Later were originally written on piano. 
So in that interview okay. you talked about with Dweezil Zappa, he talks about Eddie showing him or seeing Eddie playing those songs on piano. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, yeah. Now that you're saying that, I remember yeah. that, yeah. Um, so I'd already mentioned that Ed didn't like the way things were going in the studio and, yeah, he would grab Don Landy and get back in. Um, Sunday Afternoon in the Park became part of Mike's bass solo on the 91-92 Right Here, Right Now tour. Okay. Um, and continued on. I think Mike used to, in Live Without a Net, I think there's a little bit of that in Mike's bass solo too, but it became, the whole song became a feature on that okay. for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge tour. That, uh, that Live Without a Net, I just remember he had the Jim Bean bass and he had some weird synth sounds he was kind of triggering. and Yeah, delay, heaps of delays and... Just weird noises for a while and he was... <laughs> Hey, it's a Jim Beam bass. That's just the coolest thing ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love Mike Anthony, by the way. Like yeah, I said, so he I. sounds great on the record and he's an amazing singer. That that whole Van Halen backing vocal thing, that's really him, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's yeah, again, yeah, that trademark thing, which as much as Wolfgang was a monster player, they kind of yeah. missed that a bit live um, when they came back with Wolf. But what Wolf bought musically... And you could see that interaction, how much Eddie was smiling Still again summer, on stage. Yeah. Yeah, like he just, yeah, he yeah, loved yeah. it that him and Alex and uh, Wolf were together on stage and it didn't even really matter who was singing or how badly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But he still did kicks really well. He Well, no, he turned into this vaudeville act with a David, yeah. with a spinning cane and a slippery floor. You know, God is, yeah, <laughs> ended up breaking his nose in the interesting guy, David Lee Roth, yeah. with a mic stand before Ellen. I don't know if anyone saw that. Yeah, footage. yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I remember saying. <laughs> but he released, and it's I still I don't know if I mentioned this before. I probably mentioned this before. He released a bluegrass album yeah, that's of right. all Van Halen covers, which is the coolest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> like bluegrass jump. Listen to people out there. It's cool. Crazy. <laughs> All right, so in Chained, in the middle of the song, David Lee Roth um, makes fun of an executive that just walked into the studio. So he was mid-recording it, and Dave used to do all this ad-lib. It's all in the Ted Templeman book, actually. Okay. And Ted Templeman has produced bands like the Doobie Brothers and, like, so much. Um, but he said he would have Dave in the studio when they were tracking just to kind of have that live band vibe. And Dave would just scat and make up weird okay. and wonderful things and talk while Eddie was soloing. He'd just be ad-libbing stuff. But, uh -huh. yeah, a record exec in a suit walks in and Dave just starts ad-libbing and he goes, hey, man, that suit is you. And then it's Ted Templeman. Oh, that's that spot. Yeah, okay. and then Ted Templeman's like, come on, Dave, give me a break, you know, and that's Ted <laughs> Templeman in the control room. Um, that's cool. So, yeah, like his comments were sometimes added into the mix, like in Everybody Wants Some, um, all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, it was just Dave ad-libbing and the tape was always running and he would uh -huh. decide to use it. So, that's um, cool. yeah, that's kind of the fun facts for that record. And I think that unless you guys have anything to add, that kind of sums up 1981 Van Halen Fair Warning. Great record, man. Rob, can I ask you? Because you're obviously a big fan. Yeah. Are you, are you Van Hagar, or I mean, you chose a David Lee Roth era album. Do you do you buy into the duality that some people uh, have to take on? Well, Van Sharon fan. Van Sharon. Um, <laughs> Van Sharon. I see 
them as completely different bands. So I love okay. Dave. Um, I love the Dave era stuff for just the complete reckless abandon, chaotic yeah. party nature of it. Uh, and I think Dave is more a poet, an educated poet than a singer. So I really yeah. enjoy. It's a great way to put it. Man. Yeah, I, I really enjoy his lyrics, and yeah. then I think Eddie became a much better songwriter and a better musician, and the song craft was better with Sammy, and the singing was better, but then the lyrics weren't as okay. um, engaging. Like it was a little right. bit more. They fell into that mid eighties kind of right. lovey yep. dovey. It was about love and sex and whatever else that Sammy sang about. He didn't get deep all that often. When he did, it was good, like right now. Like the oh, lyrically yeah. right yeah. now is great. And I would have mm. loved Sammy to do more of that. And then I'm one of those strange people who I love Van Halen 3 for okay. the same yeah. reason I love Fair Warning because it's Eddie's record. And if yeah, you yeah. want to hear Eddie stretch out of the boundaries that he – maybe he held for himself. Um, he really goes out on Van Halen 3 and maybe Gary wasn't the right choice or they didn't have time to really um, hone the keys of each song to suit his voice. Right. Um, but in saying that, there's some brilliant moments on that and it's a, it's like Eddie's solo album where he invited a few people to play on it and Gary yeah, right. to sing. And there's a rumour that there was the second record is much better, but it never saw the light of day. Wow. Um, so maybe when Wolf gets time and he's ready, we might yeah. see some of those songs start to come out because we have seen in recent times some live shows get released and put onto Spotify that weren't oh, okay. released before. <clears throat> yeah. So there is a live um, record from that 98 tour with Sharon where okay. Gary sings... Sammy songs and Dave songs and I know when I went to see him at the entertainment center that that was the best part was that yeah okay. that was the only time really apart from the odd song that Sammy would sing that you ever got to see Van Halen's whole catalog performed live because they yeah. had a singer who could sing it all oh so Sammy Hagar wouldn't do a lot of the old stuff no so he would you know they would do um, Panama and jump yeah. and you really got me outside of that, Apart from one tour, which I was watching a couple of weeks ago, Sammy did some stuff off of um, some deep cuts from the Roth era on, okay. on a particular tour. I think it might have been 88 um, on the OU81 tour, tour. They did some of the deep cuts that he hadn't ever done on tour before. So, wow. But he kind of favoured doing covers, you know, won't get fooled again and those types of things that they added – and some of his solo stuff would always fit into the set, like One Way to Rock or yeah. I Can't Drive 55. Can't drive. Yeah. So I think it was mainly because they just wanted to move on from it and yeah. um, and just make it that Van Hagar era. But, yeah, long long way around is I don't have any favourites. I love it all. Yeah, cool, <laughs> cool. Awesome, Rob. Thank you for bringing Fair Warning along. Absolutely. Awesome welcome. to talk about Eddie, especially – uh, this time of year, of course, as we remember his passing. And, um, yeah, man, very cool to talk about it on iconic albums. Long live the king. Sorry. Yeah, man. Sorry. <laughs> We're still friends, so it's all good. He hasn't beaten me up yet. <laughs> Gabor, um, 
Where can people uh, check out what you're doing if you're not when you're not listening to Van Halen records? When can they uh, that's check a, you out? That's, that doesn't happen very often, but uh, the few few times. Uh, well, you can go to YouTube uh, and you can take a very deep breath and type a lot of letters. Uh, it's the super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show. No gaps. We don't do gaps. Uh, and you can go and check me out there. Um, we review guitar gear, so pedals, mostly pedals, but amps and guitars and um, some synthesizer-related stuff every once in a while too. Um, yeah, you can go and check that out and, and uh, follow us and give us thumbs ups and ups and stuff, and that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Very cool. It is a great show. And Rob. Ah, checks in the mail. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, my main gig as always is living in the seventies. So just go to, uh, facebook.com forward slash living in the seventies live, catch all the dates there and all the links. Um, we're just about to announce our summer cruise schedule and it's not nice. like the Ruby princess cruise. Okay. We're not doing that. <laughs> uh, um, they're just the little river cruises on the Tweed and the Maroochee river. And as things open up, we're hoping to get back into Sydney and Port Macquarie and do those cruises yeah, as awesome. well. Fantastic. Rob is the hardest working man in showbiz. And uh, yeah, dum, so dum, those. Dum, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy being a working musician in the business. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You need to just, when you walk out on stage, you need to just, just, just have a cape and just throw it on the floor. But don't say anything. Just do it. <laughs> Rob Rhodes. Oh, James Brown beat me to that. Yeah, Rhodes. His name is Rhodes. Uh, Rob Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. See you next week. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us for another Guitar Speak podcast, Iconic Albums. I've really enjoyed putting these conversations together with Rob and Gabor, and it's been a really cool addition to our podcast show, which uh, every week has deep dive one-on-one interviews as well. That's been our bread and butter for the last five years, and that will be continuing as well. Thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring today's episode. Check out the links in the show notes. All right, my name is Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And in the words of Michael Schenker, German guitarist from UFO, the Scorpions and MSG. Keep rocking. Keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.